Yo, what's up everybody? Welcome back to our Thursday Night Live. This is Frankie here. And as you can see today, I'm alone myself. Uh, Peter has some uh, personal uh, errands to run, so therefore he's not able to join us. Uh, uh, and apologies, just now we have some technical issues, but luckily we are now back live. Now, it's just everything everywhere all happening at once, right? And um, I was just hoping that we didn't have to do this episode, but, you know, things happen. And today, we are going to talk about a potential repeat of history in 2008. Ah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very painful experience, and it is, it is an episode that, it, that is close to my heart. Right now, um, can I can I have a show of a hand of uh, anybody who had actually burned their hands, burned their money during the two thousand and eight financial crisis? If you had, can you just write one in the comment box below so I know who you are and we can <laughs> we can we can we can um, have another mama session and talk all about it. Um, but nonetheless, uh, whatever happened over the weekend and um, for the next few days, it is just. Um, how to say, it created a lot of panic in the market and chances are this contagious, contagion effect may actually trickle down to other parts of the world. Now, what am I saying? Um, before we go further, right, I think it is good to um, just do a little bit of history lesson to bring you up to speed so that you know what happened in the past and then to see how it is similar or different today and then whether it will affect Malaysian market or not, because that's most important. Most of our investments are in Malaysia, and we need to be sure that at least Malaysia is safe. So therefore, we can continue to put some money in the market, or if it is not, then it's better to pull those money out, right? So what happened in 2008? Uh, um, so as most of you know, it was called the subprime mortgage crisis. Why subprime mortgage crisis is because, uh, if you recall, there was a dot-com bubble uh, in the early 2000s. What happened was that a lot of all these dot-com companies, uh, they all crashed. And in order to save the economy, like what happened today, uh, the Federal Reserve has lowered down the interest to a very, very low level. In those days, it didn't go down all the way to zero. La. They still kept the interest rate at 1%. So because of that, borrowing was very cheap, right? And a lot of people would took advantage on that. And what they do with the money is to buy a house, right? Because number one, you can leverage on the bank. And number two, it's very cheap interest rate. Everyone can afford to own a home. So therefore, everybody started to buy homes. But um, as home prices started to increase, that created inflation. It, remember the word inflation. Right? And then subsequently, the Fed said that, okay, in order to tame inflation, we need to start to increase the interest rate. Bam, bam, bam. We did one, one or two years' time from 1%, interest rate went up to 5%. Suddenly, a lot of all these people who were initially unable to repay their mortgages started to feel the pressure. 1% interest, I can afford. But from 1% to 5%, that's 500% increase on your uh, mortgage installment, you know. So a lot of all these people started to default, uh, default on their loan payment. And there's this bank called Bear Stern. I'm not sure if you heard of this company. Uh, this company was one of the top two banks during that time that has a lot of all these subprime mortgage assets. And because all these people are starting to default on their loan payment, 
Then subsequently, of course, this uh, Bearston started to lose money. Lah. And because of that, investors and depositors started to get very worried. Hey, if you're losing so much money, right, and all my money is with you, will it come to a day whereby you have no more money to give me back my deposit? So that was the big question at that time. So a lot of people started to line up at Bearston Bank to start to withdraw the money. Now, if one or two people withdraw money from the bank, that's fine, right? Bank is so big, how much can you withdraw? 200,000, 1 million, right? But when enough people start to do the same action, ah, then it will pile up to become a very big amount of money. And that was exactly what happened in 2008 that caused Bearston to run into liquidity crisis. It's not to say that they don't have enough asset to pay off those deposits. It's just that in such a short period of time, they're not able to um, raise that amount of money to pay back the depositors. So that is called a liquidity crunch. So at the peak of Bearston um, share price, they were trading at, if I'm not mistaken, around 170 US dollar at the time. And one year later, when everybody went to, to withdraw their deposit money from the bank, the share price just plummeted down to $2, from $170 down to $2. And eventually, this bank was uh, being rescued by JP Morgan. So today, Barristan is part of JP Morgan. But what happened after that is that even though it was a happily ever after ending for Barristan investors and depositors, it had created a contagion effect to other banks as well. So one of the more famous ones would be Lehman Brothers. And as you may know, today, Lehman Brothers is not around anymore because the Fed decided to just let it go bankrupt and collapse. Now, so that was the story in 2008. And today, I can't help but to think that the situation is very, very similar, right? It's, it's, it's so similar that I think for the past few months, we have been talking about, you know, there could potentially be a market crash and you know, there could be a black swan and we don't know where that black swan would come from because if we know, then it's not called a black swan. So what is the story today and does it deserve to be called a black swan or it is just a gradual development of this uh, economic downturn, right? So before we go into what happened to Silicon Valley Bank last weekend, I think I need to give you a bit of background of what they do because, you know, even myself, I never heard of Silicon Valley Bank until the thing happened, right? So um, this bank was founded in 1983. Uh, this bank is a little bit special. Um, the reason why they are called Silicon Valley Bank is because they operate in Silicon Valley, right? And we all know that Silicon Valley is famous for all these startups, right? All the Google, la, Facebook, la, Robinhood, la. this kind of high-tech, you know, entrepreneurship startup kind of uh, uh, business. They all like to go to Silicon Valley. Part of the reason is because Silicon Valley Bank is there to support them in terms of finances, um, basically banking services. Like if you want to do investment, also can. If you want to borrow money, also can. If you want to... Uh, do M&A acquisition, you can also find them. Okay, so that was okay from 1983 all the way to around 20, 2019. It was a steady growth. But what happened was during COVID-19. Now, if you still remember, during COVID-19, everyone was stuck at home. And during that time, it was the boom of Netflix, it was the boom of Zoom, Facebook, YouTube, all this high-tech stuff. Why? 
because we all stuck at home, uh, right? When we are stuck at home, we got nothing to do, so we tune on to our tune on to the internet, start to do a lot of things on the internet, e-commerce and stuff like that. So a lot of all these startups started to boom. They make a lot of money, and because they are in Silicon Valley, so when they make a lot of money, what do they do? Of course, they have to deposit the money in the bank, right? So therefore, from 2020 all the way to 2021, Silicon Valley Bank saw their deposit amount shoot up the roof. So much money. In fact, if in FY21, it was their record profit year because of all this uh, startup vibrancy that is happening during the pandemic. But what happened is that in... So what... Okay, so, sorry, so I need to rewind back a little bit. Huh? So during the 2008 crisis, right, because all the bank crashed and therefore Presi uh, President Barack Obama came up with a regulation to say that now every bank must tighten their balance sheet. You cannot do things as you like. You have to follow strict regulations so that you may not fall into a, a crisis in the future. But when Donald Trump became the president, he said, yes, Big banks, you have to be strict with them. But for smaller banks, you need to unleash their potential. Unleash their potential so that they can become big one day or so. So, this, so President um, Donald Trump started to relax all these restrictions on small banks. And Silicon Valley falls under this category. So when they get a lot of deposit during the pandemic, what they did was they took most of the money to invest in bonds. Now, sounds very rational, right? Yes, I know that by taking a lot of money to invest and this is people's deposit money, it's dangerous, it's risky, it's, uh, risky sorry. But come on, it's bonds. Bond is supposed to be safe and it has a very steady stream of income. So all I need to do is just to hold on to those bonds and when it comes to maturity, I can earn money from those investments. Sounds like a great plan, plan right? But what happened is after the pandemic, everybody rushed out to spend. Hyperinflation. The Fed had no choice but to increase the interest rate. This is where the problem starts to come in. Now, you see, when the Fed increased the interest rate, what happened to their initial bond investment sitting on low interest rate becomes very unattractive. I mean, I give you a case study, right? Let's say, for example, Bank Negara say, tomorrow I'm going to issue a bond that pays 20%. And today you're holding FD, which is paying 3%. Would you actually take out money from your FD and go and buy that bond? For sure, lah, right? Because number one, it's government of Malaysia issuing the bond, so it's very safe. Number two, it's 20%. Eh? So why not take that opportunity, right? So that was what happened in the market. A lot of investors took out money from their old bond investment and park it into their new bond issues by the US government. On that part, Silicon Valley Bank already lose a lot of money. And then what happened is that in Silicon Valley, a part of having many startups, there are also many VCs. Now, VCs are very financially savvy people. They can catch this little, little thing very fast. Now, when they know that Silicon Valley starts to lose a lot of money because they over-invested in bonds, they started to call up their startup, started to call up their startups and say, hey, I don't think your money is safe. Go and take out your money as soon as you can. 
So last Sunday, what happened is that suddenly a lot of startups went to the bank and started to withdraw money. If I'm not mistaken, I think the amount was $42 billion. So within a few days, or even within 24 hours, $42 billion was taken out from Silicon Valley Bank. And that immediately put them under pressure. Because remember, Baston, what happened was the liquidity crunch. They couldn't uh, raise enough cash to pay off the withdrawals on time. This one is the same. You cannot just sell bonds and then suddenly raise cash. Some more is Saturday and Sunday, you know. So immediately what they have to do is to find, uh, find cash, uh, find the drawer and see go or not, you know, find here, go or not. Don't have. Then they have no choice. But on Friday itself, they quickly have to sell off partial uh, part of their old bonds that they that they were holding, which is already making a loss. So when you sell something that is making a loss, it makes the loss even bigger. So you are digging a bigger hole to pay the withdrawal. So the hole became bigger and bigger and bigger and eventually on that weekend itself, it couldn't sustain, they went into trouble. So that was what happened in Silicon Valley Bank. But lucky enough, um, the government stepped in and said that, hey, don't worry. Uh, this is a very serious issue. We hope it wouldn't happen like what happened in 2008 because we have seen how damaging it could be. So don't worry. We are going to um, make sure all the depositors get their money on Monday. Right? So if you're a depositor in Silicon Valley Bank, up to $250,000, your money should be safe. But anything above 250000 and for investors of all these uh, startups and uh, Silicon Valley Bank, I'm so sorry because I only have enough bullets to save the depositors. Yeah, it's, it's a good move to calm the market, but it's not good enough because it is not covering the entire, uh, it is not covering the entire system. It, it is just protecting the depositors. Now, this is very serious. Why? Because even though it is happening to one bank, don't forget we are in a situation where the market is sitting on a thin ice. Right? We are having hyperinflation. People are losing jobs. You know, things are not just good. Lah. Every day, if you follow our life long enough, you know that every week we talk about a potential market crash. So, when one bank say that they are in trouble, immediately people will start to find little, little mistakes that other banks are doing and try to amplify and sensationalize those news. So immediately after Silicon Valley Bank's problem, we have another bank called Signature Bank who has a lot of investment in crypto companies. This time, they also got into trouble because all these crypto companies are also losing money, right? Bitcoin dropped so much. So a lot of all a lot of their depositors also went to the bank to withdraw money. So then, the, lucky enough as well, because all these banks are small banks, they are regional banks, it is okay for the Fed and the government to step in and say, let me give you a lending hand. If you need the money, I can loan the money to you for up to a year for you to um, run your bank operation as usual. But, even though right now it seems like everything is back to normal, the dust has already settled, I just can't help but to think that we are just seeing the tip of the iceberg. Because yes, Silicon Valley, they have made a lot of investment in uh, startup, interest rate, short hub, investment, lost money, so therefore they got into trouble. 
But don't you think that other banks, big or small, they all have this kind of investment? They all have bond holdings. They all have uh, all these risky assets, especially during the pandemic, especially during the crypto boom and all that. They have made a lot of such investment in the past. And now things are not looking good. I'm just not sure how much are they hiding under the carpet. If things starts to blow up, I think potentially this could be a very, very big problem. And I can already see it across the Atlantic Ocean in Europe because another big bank there is also facing similar problem. Now, who can tell me what happened in Europe that is very similar in the US? No money for that, but I will give you a thumbs up. Yes, Ben, you are right. Credit Suisse. Okay, so the story of Credit Suisse is also very interesting. Uh, but this bank, they, yeah, well, they had a bank run, but the reason of the bank run is not because they had um, a lot of investment that is losing money, but they were involved in a lot of scandals. <laughs> they have so much scandal until their investors are scared that they say, oh, I better not put money with you. I better withdraw the money. So they also had a bank run, but for a different reason. Uh, this story actually happened about, I think, six months ago, if I'm not mistaken. And I also remember we did a session on that on our Thursday Night Live. But um, long story short is that after they got into trouble, they got a rescuer from the Middle East, from Saudi National Bank. So what happened is that Saudi National Bank came in and pumped in money and bought 10% stake in Credit Suisse. So that sort of settled things down for a while. Right now, as usual, interest rate up, lose money, ding, 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 people withdrawing money because they are scared and all those things, right? Credit Suisse needed even more money. But this time around, they have a problem. In Europe, right, uh, they have this regulation whereby not a single party can own a bank of more than 10%. And Saudi National Bank already have close to 10% of Credit Suisse. So if they were to breach that threshold, then there are a lot of regulatory requirements that they need to go through. So at this point, they say, hey, enough is enough. I'm not going to go through. I'm not going to go past the threshold. I'm, go I'm only going to stay at 10%, which means to say, I'm not going to pump in extra money. Highlight. <laughs> Highlight, right? So as people keep withdrawing money out from Credit Suisse, what can they do? So they started to panic and last night, Credit Suisse share price dropped by 24 or 30%, roughly around that range. And within that evening itself, the Swiss government stepped in and said the similar things to the US. They said that I'm going to come in, I'm going to guarantee those deposits, so don't worry. But just to give you a precise number, the Swiss government is only going to help them up to $50 billion. Now, I'm not sure this $50 billion is enough to contain the damage. If it is not, then potentially Credit Suisse could go down even further. Okay, just now in the US, still okay, you know, because we are talking about regional banks. Silicon Valley Bank, regional. Signature Bank, regional. Credit Suisse is one of the top investment banks in the world in the world. Huh? So can you imagine how many investors are invested in Credit Suisse? European investors, 
US investors, Chinese investors, Australian investors, and maybe Malaysian investors as well. So if they go into big trouble like that, uh, yeah, so you know, you know where this is going already, right? So, so we, are, we are in a very dangerous situation right now. I think all the, regula- all the regulators and central bankers now, they are looking very closely at all their banking, all their respective banking system, and to make sure that they are, they are resilient enough not to, not to invite this contagion effect into their country. But looks like it has already spread to Europe and hopefully it can, be, it can be contained within Switzerland. If it is not, then potentially UK also gonna, Germany gonna, Japan gonna, and you know, and all those things, right? So we are in a very dangerous situation. From that perspective, I think if you have investment in overseas, you may need to think whether you want to de-risk a little bit. Meaning to say you also participate in those bank runs and quickly bring your money back. And perhaps you may even want to convert it back to Malaysian ringgit, you know, right? So that is one, um, one strategy that I can think of personally for myself, lah. right? Um, okay, now come back to Malaysia. Malaysia is a bit special. We always say that we want to invest overseas, right? But at the same time, we are also a bit kiasu. So we don't go very aggressive overseas. Like for example, if you talk about big funds like EPF, PNB and all that, yes, they do have investment overseas. Um, and it has gradually increased their positions overseas as well. But if you look at their strategy, is rather, I would say, a little bit more secure. Just to give you an example, right? For example, KWSP and EPF when they say they want to invest in Europe, what they did was they actually invested in a property development in the UK. So it's a hard, core hard asset. It's a building. It is not those securities, you know, bonds, that kind of thing. So I think, yes, they will still be affected because all these things will affect housing market in those countries, but it will not be as bad as what happened to Credit Suisse, SVB and also Signature Bank. So that's one. Number two, um, Malaysian investors tend to be not so so savvy in comparison to overseas fund managers. In the sense that we always tend to invest in plain vanilla products. We don't go very creative. So in that sense, it is a blessing in disguise. Yes, on a bull market, we will not earn that much. But in a bear market, we also don't lose that much. So from that perspective, Malaysia is quite safe, just like what happened in the 2008 crisis. The subprime mortgage, if it didn't burst, you tell it to a Malaysian fund manager, yes, I heard about it, but how to do it exactly? Mm, not too familiar, so I'm not going to touch it. This time around, you're talking about all this high-risk VC kind of startup investment and all that. To the Malaysian fund managers, yes, I get it. It is very exciting I'm tempted to invest, but you know, my risk appetite is not there. So yeah, maybe I don't want to put that much of money. That is also the reason why, right? You see the entrepreneurship circle in Malaysia, they tend to have this struggle whereby they cannot get a lot of funding. 
And they always say, if you want funding as a startup, go to Singapore because Singapore is a lot easier. That is exactly the reason why. Because Malaysian investors, Malaysian fund managers, they tend to be a little bit more risk averse. But thanks to that as well, I think this problem um, will not be a big problem for Malaysia. We will just have a little bit of spillover effect. Let's say, for example, US tomorrow drop 10%. Then, of course, Malaysia will also drop 1-2%, right? It's a, it's, a correlate, it's a correlation thing. Ma. But it will not have the same effect like what happened to Credit Suisse, whereby if something bad happened to the US, then the Europe also faced similar kind of damage. So I think we are fine. Um, and then the next question would be, because all these startup problems right, are closely related to the tech sector, and therefore, how does it affect to Malaysian tech companies? Yesterday, we had a very interesting IPO, Opstar. Can I have a show of a hand if you guys have traded or invested in Opstar? Can I have a show of a hand? Just type something so that um, I know, I know you, uh, you are very happy in the past 24 hours. Nobody. Uh. Ah, yeah, nobody buy Opstar. Ah, yeah, wasted like your... Oh, yeah. Someone we purposely made one session about Opstar, talking about Opstar, one just, just, just last week itself. Uh, but anyway, uh, talking about Opstar, Opstar is the design house that we talked about last week, right? It is talking about hardware services and things like that. So the Malaysian tech companies, yes, they're involved in tech, they're involved in those space, but if you think about it, right, our tech companies are involved in those very, very steady blue chip, traditional kind of tech. We are talking about building phones, building laptops, building yeah, some software here and there, which is leveraging on AWS, Amazon services, or Azure from Microsoft services. So it is not to say really that high tech as well. And um, it is not really doing a lot of business with startups per se. We are involved with more in the Google and Amazon kind of business. So in that sense, I think Malaysian tech companies will also be quite safe. But still, when investors say tech sector is having a problem, sell tech. I don't care whether it's Malaysia tech, American tech, you will still get sell off. It's just that the quantum of the damage will not be as bad as the US. So I think that kind of sums up what um, what these few days happening is about. So um, I think we can now open up for Q&A uh, session. If you have any question, you can feel free to type it in the comment box. Then we will, uh, we will talk about it accordingly. Busa below 1004, not bad enough. Uh, okay, Busa Malaysia, on average, the PE is trading around 15 times PE, right? At 13 times PE, if I'm not mistaken, it's around 1004. So a lot of people are saying that maybe 1004 is a good support for the KLCI. But that is provided no surprises anymore. Lah. If there are more surprises, then yeah, it may spill over to Malaysia and it may fall, it may fall past the 1,004 mark. 
Okay, any more questions? Uh, let's see over here. Which Malaysian bank have high bonds in hand? Um, Malaysian banks, uh, they also invest in bonds, but um, it is, I would say their portfolio is, is consisting more of Malaysian bonds and at most also is regional bonds. So we're talking about ASEAN bonds. Uh, US bonds, European bonds, very little. So I don't think uh, we are in a very big trouble. Ah, there's one thing I want to point out about crypto. So during all these crises that are happening, right, do you guys realize that actually crypto actually boom, actually had a good bull run? Uh, in fact, Bitcoin was 20,000 last week and today is 24, 25,000 already. Uh, there are a few arguments. One is that now, because all these banks are having problem, right? People lose trust in banks, right? So if you lose trust in banks, where do you put your money? Bank, the bankless system, right? Right, the DeFi space, which is crypto. So that's one reason why you experience that boom. But also you need to be careful because the fall of signature Signature bank is because a lot of all these um, um, deposit that they collected were invested into crypto companies, and all these crypto companies are facing a very bad um, situation right now, and that's why they are losing a lot of money. So based on that logic, right, then actually crypto is not very safe as well. So you have that offsetting effect for you to think whether this rally on on a cryptocurrency can sustain or not. In my opinion, yes, because banking system is facing a problem, you can put a little bit higher weightage on cryptocurrencies, but not to the extent whereby, ha, huh, yes, lah, now my money should go all there. Because I still think crypto is a very huge risk investment asset. So yes, you can increase a little bit more on cryptocurrencies, but don't go all in. Nowhere is safe. Under your pillow, lo, the safest right now. <laughs> Do you think there will be expected rate hike based on recent event and there will be a hike in debt ceiling in the US? Huh, this is a very interesting question. Um, so in the 2008 financial crisis, when the crisis happened, immediately, you know, to save the economy is lower back down the interest rate law, right? So that's why we have that 10, 12 years of close to zero interest rate to enjoy. But this time around is different. We are facing economic issue. At the same time, we are also facing high inflation. So for the Fed to increase or not to increase interest rate, that's a very crucial question that will be answered on the 22nd of March next week. But if you were to ask me, right, you see, last year they have already increased interest rates seven times. And after these seven times, you started to see crack in the economy. Banks started to fall. People starting to withdraw the money. They don't trust the banking system anymore. So do you still want to increase the interest rate? And I think because of that expectation, a lot of market observers are saying that maybe on the 22nd of March, the Fed may not want to do that increase. And that's why no rate hike means market can fly. That's why even though bank crash, bank run, a lot of all these hoo-ha, hoo-ha, everything everywhere, all at once, the market still managed to 
go like a bull run, like as though nothing happened like that. It's because I think the expectation is there is no rate hike. But if let's say next week, the bank say, oh yes, bank is one issue, but inflation is one issue. Today, I still want to address inflation. Therefore, 25 basis point, 50 basis point hike. I think the market can go really bad for the next five to 10 days after that. So going to going for silver safe, uh, this is also another interesting question. Apart from cryptocurrency bull run, you also see all this uh, precious metal like gold and silver, they also experience a very good bull run as well. Why traditionally when market is bad, you fall back to safe haven asset. One of the safe haven asset would be gold and silver. Just think about it. If there's a war, nobody is going to accept your currency. But gold, maybe, because I can still take the gold and go somewhere else and redeem into other kinds of uh, currency. Okay, June say here, they will neither increase or decrease. I think even, even they do that, right? Neither increase or decrease, right? That is a good enough reason for the market to continue to run for the short run. Because what the market don't want to see is really interest rate going up. As long as you don't go up, don't go down, so never mind, you stay there also can. I think investors will be very happy. Papa Power still hawkish. Yeah, looks like it, but now he is facing a very headache situation. If he increase, I think we can see more news about more bank runs going forward. So I really don't know. If you ask me whether it will increase or not, I say the chance is 50-50. Uh, no, I, I think it's 70% no increase, 30% increase. Would we also see oil, cry, oil price crash when bank run starts? Why is it? Uh, okay, this is not a direct relationship. You have to think a little bit further. Okay, so when economy crash, where there's a bank run and people's livelihood is affected, they have no more income, there's a recession, depression, whatnot, people spend less. When they spend less, they use fuel petrol. When they use fuel petrol, the demand for oil and gas falls and therefore the price of oil and gas will fall. That's why apart from market rally, we also see oil price coming down, which is very strange, right, if you think about it because usually it's oil price up, people think that the economy is booming, so stock price also go up. But now we're in the situation whereby stock price is up, but your oil price is down. So what are you trying to say? Huh? There's, a, there's a mismatch between all these typical economic theories today. Bank shares such as RHB and public bank worth to invest, um, I'm not going to give uh, financial advice here because I'm not allowed to. But uh, generally speaking, um, banking stocks in Malaysia are good dividend stocks, right? And uh, speaking of that, remember in the past few um, sessions in our Thursday Night Live, we have been trying to hint you guys that we are actually working on uh, education syllabus. We are, we, are working, we are actually working on the education syllabus, correct? Why we want to do that is because with all these bad things happening in the market, right? We feel that there is more the need for us to actually come out and sort of like 
equip lah. I would use the word equip, equip retail investors so that they are not panic when this kind of situation hit their portfolio. And therefore, uh, we have successfully come up with our first part of the whole education syllabus. And we are going to hold a workshop on the 4th and 5th of April. Uh, it's a weekday uh, from 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock p.m. And, in, and what is interesting is that this is going to be a physical workshop. So you would need to come to our office and you know at the same time meet and greet together. It's the first time that we are going to meet you guys. We can't wait for that. Uh, but because our office space is very limited, we are only going to open up for 20 people. So 10 people on the 4th of April, 10 people on the 5th of April. So if you're interested to participate in this workshop, um, I think we are, yes, uh, there's a form there. You fill up the form, uh, answer those questions. And if you are selected, then you would need to pay a small fee of 99 ringgit. But what's more interesting is because all we want to do is to equip retail investors with, with, the, with, the, with the right skill, right? So... Uh, Yalla. So you guys, you guys can come. After you finish the thing, then uh, maybe we can return the money to you because it is really not for profit. So if you are interested, please fill up the form. And if you are selected, we will contact you separately. Time to buy MBB for the sweet long-term dividends. Is it at one year low now by the dip? Yes or no? Uh... There's, 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 there's this saying about Maybank, right? Uh, yes, number one, it is too big to fail because if they fail, then really Malaysia GG because they are, they are one of the largest banks in Malaysia. But the other reason is uh, because um, this one is somebody told me, when, do you know that Agong's bank account is with Maybank as well? So I don't think they can afford to let Maybank fail. So for that, maybe that is your investment strategy. <clears throat> Frankie, is it possible for crypto to finally decouple from tech stocks in this current bloodbath market? Um, yeah, like I, like I said just now, people are already trying to tie things together with banks. So yes, people are starting to lose trust in banks and therefore part of the money has flowed into cryptocurrency. Hopefully, as more and more people believe in that, then cryptocurrency can stand on its own as an independent asset class. But until that happens, it is now still very, very highly correlated to tech stocks today. Glove sector went up instead today. June, June is asking this question. Um, I am not sure whether it is for this reason, but recently, Peter and myself, we have been reading news about China and Taiwan. And it is a very interesting news, and I think the internet is, is trying to play this news down. Uh, according to CIA report or a CIA interview, they are saying that China is preparing to invade Taiwan by 2027, right? 
And because of that, uh, there's, there's a company today that initially promised to invest in Taiwan. They also pulled out already. I can't remember why it's the stock. Uh, if, if, if you guys can remember, you can remind me again. But um, yeah, you know, how? Uh, <laughs> everything is bad. Everything is bad. How about Singapore CF? C C CPF, do you think they got exposure to Euro banks? Now, everything is relative, right? Malaysia, relatively, we are less exposed to Europe, less, less exposed to the US. When you compare Malaysia to Singapore, they are, more, they, are, they are more savvy investors. So if you compare like that, then of course, they would have more exposure in those markets. But whether they are so exposed that it will put them into trouble or not, um, not too sure. But uh, at least Singapore is very strong, lah. Singapore dollar is strong, the economy is strong. So I think they should be fine as well. When to enter Busa? Personally, my opinion is when the Fed finally say, okay lah, I see you all are struggling, right? Let's lower down the interest rate a bit lah. I think that is the time, not just Busa, you can start to think about what other asset class that you want to invest in? <clears throat> Any more questions? Well, if there are no more questions, then I think uh, we can call it a day. You know, it's it's a lonely night for me. Peter is not here. I have to do this myself. Um, have been talking to myself for uh, more than close to an hour, but thanks to you guys to keep me entertained and uh, listen to my story. So yeah, appreciate it. Uh, oh yeah, wait, one, 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 one more question. Uh, Frankie, how many percentage cash US still investing? Uh, I don't really get the question. Yeah, but anyways, uh, thanks you guys so much. I really appreciate it. Today, um, as I can see right here, 194 of you are watching this live session. Uh, I think it's one of the highest uh, in our Thursday Night Live. Appreciate it and uh, hope to see you guys again next week together with Peter. Hopefully, we have more things to, uh, more interesting stories to share next week. So, good night and see you guys. Mm -hmm.